a little different than normal. We finished Titus, and I felt a strong leading to uh, go into the book of Exodus. I don't think we're going to go all the way through it, but I've got some things I want to share with you out of the front part of it, because I think in the mind of nearly every person is, how did we get where we are? How did we get where we are? When you uh, look back and you start tracing your family tree and your heritage, how far back can you go? Uh, what, uh, there's that show on PBS, uh, Who Do You Think You Are or something like that, where they do celebrities and they trace theirs back. Uh, every once in a while I've watched that kind of interested in genealogy and history and those kind of things. And uh, I don't remember who it was. It doesn't really matter. But it was interesting. They traced her history all the way back to Charlemagne. That's a long way, folks. And I don't know what good that it does you, except that there's something that seems to be inherent in us that we want to know where we came from. In fact... uh, How many of you are old enough to remember the blockbuster that came on TV called Roots? And don't dare call it Roots. It's Roots, right? Yeah. And uh, it was important uh, to African Americans especially to see that there was someone who had had their family heritage and stories passed down from generation after generation from Kunta Kinte, who was a Mandinka warrior who was brought over as a slave, and yet he kept telling the story, kept telling the story about the river where his village was. Remember that? And all of those things passed down from generation after generation, and the author was actually able to go back to Africa to meet with elders of the tribe of his ancestor, And they had an oral history of all of those things that he had been told that had been passed down for a couple of hundred years through the family. And everybody nearly in America watched that series. Because whether you were black or whether you were white, there's an interest in where we came from. And that's why whenever you read in the Bible, you get to those begets. And you kind of skim over them and you wonder, good night, why are they in there? Let me tell you, they were important to the people who originally read it. Because it told them where they came from. Somebody said, uh, as a Facebook meme, it said that inside of uh, every time an old person looks in the mirror, there's a voice inside of them that said, how in the world did this happen? Because sometimes as you get older, you still see yourself as you were 20, 30, 40 years ago. And then the mirror is startling. Pictures are kind of startling, aren't they? And uh, we think about those things. And as we grow older, I've noticed that somehow the family and the family history and the family stories grow a little bit more interesting and more precious to you than they were. I can remember things that I heard when I was 13 or 14 and vroom, you know, right over the head. I didn't really care. I had other things to do. Now I really wish, and some of you may identify with this, I wish I had some aunts and uncles or grandparents or somebody to ask those questions to, but they're gone. And uh, it, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to find out some of those questions. And some of those questions were, how did we get here? My uh, heritage, as far as I know, I've got uh, some Eastern European, I've got some uh, English, I've got some Irish, I've got some Italian. My great-grandmother was Italian. She, I guess it was not good to be Italian back then. She told everybody she was French. And uh, boy, how things have flip-flopped, right? And uh, I don't know really what the story is on any of that. Uh, How did my family end up in northwest Arkansas? Been curious about that. And I found out um, relatively late that uh, they came from Kentucky, of all places. And uh, my dad's side of the family came from 
eastern Colorado. If you've ever been through eastern Colorado, maybe on your way to the Rockies to ski, boy, there's nothing there. It's flat, desert-like. And I watched one of those Ken Burns documentaries on the Dust Bowl, and I think I finally kind of understood my father just a little bit more because in the midst of all of those monstrous billowing clouds of dust that far, far bigger than I ever imagined, uh, they would have different people interviewed from different things, Boy City and places like that, Guyman. But there was also some from Prowers County, Colorado, I kept thinking, there's something about that, something about that. And then I looked on my dad's death certificate, and that's where he was born. That's where he was raised. And I thought about how that shaped him and, and how that explained some things about him, uh, how conservative he was and how he didn't like to leave water running or anything like that. It wasn't just for the water bill. It was just he was raised to conserve all of that because there was such a shortage of it. It explained some things. There's something about knowing where you came from. The book of Genesis is not written, there was nobody there taking notes when the Lord said, let there be light. It's written later on. It's written when Moses is leading the, uh, the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt after 400 years. They're going back on their way to the land that had been given to their ancestor, Abraham. And Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is painstakingly telling these people who they are. For 400 years, they had watched Egyptians worship the sun god, Ra, worship Pharaoh, who claimed to be a descendant of the sun god, and worship the Nile River. See, uh, Egypt had no existence apart from the Nile. Egypt doesn't have crops because of rain for the most part. They have it because of the Nile River. They could irrigate and they could grow things. Arthur Pink said it was a land that was not dependent upon rain from heaven. It was dependent upon the Nile, those resources. And they began to worship the Nile River. The Nile would flood every so often and the silt that was in the river would fertilize the land. And so they did well, but it's just a strip a country that is just a strip along the Nile River in the middle of the desert. And that's where Israel had been. And they had seen all these people worshiping these things and worshiping rivers and people. And, well, here's what tells you how screwball they really were. They worshiped cats. Can you imagine? Cat lovers say, yeah, amen, I can get that. But, uh, boy, for those who are not cat lovers, it's like, really? How low can you go? And you think about all of this, that's what they had seen. And so Moses pens words. Can you imagine the first time these former slaves, 400 years in Egypt, heard the words? Five words, I have a message on this that I preached when we went through Genesis. Five words that change everything. In the beginning, God. That changes everything, does it? It's four words, isn't it? And... Um, Two kinds of people, right? Those who can, three kinds of people, those who can do math and those who can't. But uh, think about that. For the first time, they're hearing, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And Moses was saying to them, don't worship the sun, worship the one who made the sun. Don't worship the river, worship the one who made the river. That was life-changing for them. And then he begins in the book of Genesis to tell them not only about creation, but about Adam and Eve and how sin and how the curse came in. Why were we slaves in Egypt? Because the earth and people in it are under a curse and are separated from God. And people oppress other people in this kind of system. Nothing's changed, has it? Then he told them about a man who was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, Abram. And Abram was called to leave his father and mother and leave his homeland. And God said, go to a land where I tell you. Where is that land? Abram didn't know. God said, just follow me. I'll get you where you need to go. And he took him to a land, the land of Canaan. And he said, everywhere your footsteps, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. Remember all of that? Remember Abraham and Lot? We talked about that a few weeks ago. And uh, we think about all that happened there in that land. 
And yet the Israelis, the Jews, the descendants of Abraham are wondering, then why are we in Egypt? If that land was given to us by covenant from God to Abram's descendants, why are we in Egypt? And the book of Genesis goes on to tell the story about a man named Joseph who was blessed of God and blessed by his father but hated by his brethren, thrown into a pit to die, and then sold to slavery in Egypt. Ah, now it's coming into focus. That Joseph was there in Egypt as a slave. Not as a wealthy man, not as an ambassador, not as a king, but as a slave. He was also a prisoner because he was falsely accused of trying to rape his master's wife. And so he's thrown into prison. But through a strange turn of events, Genesis takes these slaves from creation to Abram, their uh, ancestor, to the covenant that God had made, to Isaac and Jacob, and then to Joseph. And Joseph ends up in Egypt, and he doesn't stay a slave. He doesn't stay a prisoner. Something amazing happens. He becomes prime minister, I guess we would say, of Egypt. And he actually saves the empire of Egypt and the people of Egypt. But more than that, we find out he saves his own brothers. He saves the bloodline of Christ. He saves the descendants of Abram. And they settle in Egypt. And now he tells what Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story in Exodus chapter 1. And all of these, probably a couple of million slaves, are hearing this story maybe for the very first time. How did we get here? Why are we here? What's the purpose in all of this? And here's what it says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob. This is after Joseph has gotten there, after the brothers have come to get their grain, and Joseph reveals himself to them and says, Go get my father and everybody else and come live here. There's food here, okay? And it says that their names were Reuben and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And if that, any of those names sound familiar, you've heard them as the tribes of Israel, right? They're descendants from these men. They're all family to some degree. Now, verse 5 says, All those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. So 70 people come in. They live in the land of Goshen, all of that. Now, verse 6 tells us something that is inevitable. It happens in you, your generation, your family. It happens in mine. And it will happen to us one day. And Joseph died. All his brothers and all that generation. They passed on. Verse 7, But the children, in other words, the descendants, not little kids, but descendants of Israel. Israel was Jacob, the name God gave him. Were fruitful, means they had a lot of kids, and they increased abundantly, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now, just as an aside, it's not like now where people are controlling population and some people have a goal of zero population growth. In those days, people wanted kids. They didn't abort them. They didn't, uh, you know, do anything like that. They wanted them. And it was a sign of the blessing of God. And even the Egyptians, pagan as they were, would look and say, the Hebrews' God is certainly blessing them. And they grew and they multiplied and as a result of that, something happened. All the Egyptians came to trust God. No, not happened. Look at verse 8. Now there arose a new king, a new Pharaoh, over Egypt. And this is very important. Who did not know Joseph. Boy, this is a skilled writer here. Because this pivots on this. New king, didn't know Joseph. All the old generations are gone. In verse 9, he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. 
That's quite a statement. Verse 10, come and let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they would join our enemies and fight against us and go up out of the land. Boy, you never can, they would say, you just can't trust a Jew, can you? Anti-Semitism is wicked, it's demonic, and it's been around since the beginning, folks, hasn't it? No matter how long they've been here, they're still not one of us. And boy, you can't trust those Jews because they'll turn around and they'll fight against us. Isn't it interesting that they forgot, this king forgot all about the fact that it was a Jew that saved the empire. But not now. We're way, way past that. Verse 11, therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. Verse 12, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Now remember, multiplying and growing in population was seen as a desirous thing. Higher population groups back then, they ruled everything. And they were seen as being blessed by God. So the Egyptians say, well, we'll show them who's boss. And what happens? God seems to bless them more. Does that make the Egyptians back down? Well, let's continue the story. And they, meaning the Egyptians, were in dread of the children of Israel. Terrified by them. Verse 13, so the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with vigor. And they made their lives bitter. Bitter with hard bondage. In mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service which they made them serve was with vigor. In other words, no rest. Pushing them, pushing them harder, harder, more, 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 and more. And the bondage became greater and greater upon all of them. You know, I would imagine that as Moses is reading this to them or somebody is reading it to them, at this part, they can all identify. We've been under the lash of Pharaoh and our taskmasters. We remember when Moses came and said to Pharaoh, set my people free. And Pharaoh says, you want them to be free? Hey, we'll double the work. They can gather their own straw for the bricks and they can make it and they're going to make even more. And even these slaves, they didn't look at Moses with favor. They said, what are you doing? You're making life worse, not better. You just, just be quiet and go away. Life was hard enough as it is without you coming and stirring things up. They could all remember that. This is where they have been raised. This is where their parents were raised. This is where their grandparents were raised. This is the way their great-grandparents were raised. And 400 years of slavery. And these verses tell us something about how they got there. And these things are relevant to our lives because they're still in force. What is the first thing that would answer the question to an Israeli, if we were promised this land flowing with milk and honey... How did we end up in Egypt? Why were we there so long? What in the world happened? And if it is true what Moses told us in his first book, that we were the reason that Egypt survived, what happened? Well, the very first thing, notice that there is what we would call a family heritage. You know, you didn't choose your family. You didn't choose your race. You didn't choose your country. You know, sometimes we act as though we kind of earned the right to be free, prosperous Americans. But you could have easily been born somewhere else. You could have been easily born on the other side of the tracks. You could have easily been born with a different heritage than you have. And you could have been in a country where there was no upward mobility. You just were what you were. And unless you were part of the nobility, you didn't really get out of any of that. You just lived like a peasant or a serf or a slave or something like that. 
And we sometimes take it for granted. But back in the days when this was written, if you were a member of a certain group or a certain family, that was either a blessing or a curse. Because if your father was a shepherd, that meant you were to be a shepherd the rest of your life. Well, I don't want to be a shepherd. I want to leave and I want to experience the world and I want to build great things and I want to make a fortune. No, you go do what your daddy did. If your daddy worked in the coal mines, you worked in the coal mines. If your daddy was a person that worked with metal, you worked with metal or whatever it might be. All of this is the way that they lived. And so when the Jews came to Egypt... Can you imagine what it was like when Jacob and uh, the other brothers of Joseph come into town and the Egyptians go, they smell like sheep. They had great disdain for shepherds. But Joseph was able to use that to their advantage and say to Pharaoh, they're going to need land here and they're here at your invitation. And so Pharaoh gave them the best of the land, the land of Goshen. And that's where they lived, separate. And the Egyptians were probably happy to keep them and all of their sheep over there on that other part of the land. And that's where they lived and that's where they grew and that's where this story takes place. Now you notice here the only reason that they were slaves. It's not because of anything they had done. It's not because of anything evil about them. It's not because they tried to rebel against Pharaoh or they started a civil war or they tried to assassinate him. It's not because they were criminals or anything like that. In fact, when they came to Egypt in the midst of that famine, they were welcomed and all of their needs were taken care of. But when they end up as slaves, it's for one reason and one reason only. It's because of their DNA, isn't it? That's all it is. That's all it is. And we think about how in history, in different countries, there are different people that are enslaved, even in our own country, for no other reason than their DNA, their skin pigment or something like that. Well, that's all it was for these Jews. Why are we enslaved? Only one reason, because of our DNA, because of the family that we are with. And he lists where that came from there in these verses. The Bible says that there was a warning about all of this way back in Genesis 15 when God made a covenant with Abraham. It says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. Turns out that's going to be Egypt. And will be servants or slaves there. And they will be afflicted. For 400 years. Well, it turns out God was extremely accurate here, right? But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. And you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation... For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So what is God saying to Abraham? It's going to happen, but don't you worry about it. Live your life. You're not going. And nobody you know is going to go. But this is going to afflict your family one day. They're going to be slaves in a foreign land for 400 years. Why for 400 years? Well, because the Amorites who were living in the land of Canaan, it's not time for their judgment yet. We'll let them go for this 400 years, and then when I'm ready to rain judgment upon them, I'll do it through my people that I bring out of Egypt. This is the promise. And so uh, you would think they would have known this, but remember the book of Genesis had not been written yet. This is all new material to all of these people, and it had been prophesied by this God who made them and who made the world and everything that is in it. So family heritage can sometimes cause you some trouble, can't it? Number two, I want you to think about limitations of life. It, it seems like life when you're young moves slow. And it takes forever for you to make your way in the world or figure out what you want to do or to start getting ahead in life or to establish your family. But boy, does it ever speed up after that point. And everybody, every one of us is headed to a place 
called death. The Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Let's just stop and think about that and deal with it. The statistics are very clear. It's 100% of the people that are born that die. It's going to happen to each one of us. And it happened in this situation too. Joseph was in Egypt already, but you know what happened? Even people like Joseph, well, they die. Time goes by. Their time goes by. Their generation passes off of the scene. There's a time to be born, Solomon said, and there is a time to die. And this generation passes off of the scene. Everybody's excited, happy. Joseph is a great guy, second in command, got the approval of Pharaoh, saved the land of Egypt, and his family is here now. Let's treat them well. Boy, we really dodged the bullet on this because of a guy named Joseph, because of these strange people called the Hebrews, the Jews. This is an amazing thing. But you know what happened? As good as you may have it, that's not going to last forever. As well thought of as you may be, that's not going to last forever. As impactful as you and your family may be, it's not going to last forever. There's going to come a time when somebody's going to be born and they're going to live and they're going to come into a place of power, a place of influence or whatever it might be, and they're not going to remember anything about us. Oh, maybe some snippets here and there or some urban legends or they may run across a tombstone they're curious about. They may see a statue of somebody that they kind of, they may Google your name or somebody's name, but it's not going to impact their life. By and large, they're going to be long, long forgotten. Even the rich, even the famous, even the powerful. Mary Pickford. Hmm. You know how I know that name? They talked about it on the Beverly Hillbillies when I was a kid. Had no idea who she was. Right? Here's one for you. Millard Fillmore. Well, he's a president. Surely nobody's forgotten Millard. Yeah, probably have. Probably have. Dawned on me not too long ago when I talked to my kids about Ronald Reagan it might as well have been my parents talking about FDR. Didn't mean anything to me. That was a long time ago. Ancient history. That's the way the world works, is it not? That's why we do things like the Lord's Supper. This do in remembrance of me. You know why? It's human nature to forget. And we are to remember Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And we are to remember others who have had an impact on our lives. But we live by the philosophy of what have you done for me lately? And that's all the Egyptians did. You know, uh, what are you? You dress funny, you eat weird food, and you keep sheep. What are you? Well, I'm a Jew. Oh. So? Well, we saved your country. Yeah? Well, I think we're doing fine now. Who cares? And you know, that's human nature. It happens in our own world. How many people back in World War II did we as Americans liberate? And the reason they don't speak German or Japanese is because of our military and our sacrifice of our young men's lives. And yet some of those countries could care less about us or about that sacrifice. But don't be too hard on them. You know why? That's human nature. You and I do that as well. How many of you could name the name of a soldier that's not George Washington that fought in the Revolutionary War? I mean, we just kind of forget. It goes by. And that's what happened here. People began to forget about the Jews and about Joseph and all of that. That generation just died off. That's ancient history. Number three, how about calling it this forgotten history? Because the Bible says... That they're fruitful and multiplied and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But go on down to verse 8. And there arose a new king over Egypt. Now here's where it gets important. Who did not know Joseph. And in fact, this Pharaoh is convinced, why do I need to know Joseph? What does that do for me? No big deal. And all of the contributions of the Jews into the life of Egypt was just simply forgotten 
You know, sometimes that happens in families. That happens in nations. We forget about those who have gone on before us. We forget about the price that they paid. We think that what we're living in right now is normal. You know, no big deal. We forget even as Christians. You hold a Bible in your hand. There were people burned at the stake because of that. Oh, that seems weird. How in the world could that happen? Well, you ought to appreciate your Bible, and you ought to appreciate the fact that there were people who took the risk to translate it into our language at peril of their own lives. But we kind of forget. We forget about people who have fought and died for our freedom as a nation. We just forget about those kind of things. We forget about how hard mom and dad worked in order to put food on the table in difficult times. And we many times don't appreciate that until we get older after we've experienced some of those kind of things. Forgotten history. It bothers me that they don't teach much American history in our schools as they used to. It bothers me. It bothers me that we don't really know where we came from. It bothers me that we don't understand the hardships and the sacrifices of previous generations, even in our own families. I've told you this before, but I found out just uh, maybe 10 years ago that I have an ancestor that fought in the Revolutionary War. Now, why was that not important enough for somebody to talk about that? Why was that person just kind of forgotten? And neglected? Why was that something that wasn't passed down like in roots? You know, that, that seems significant to me. I didn't even know about it. I had a great uncle who died on Omaha Beach on the D-Day invasion. I didn't know about that until I was in my 30s. I found one of my grandmother's old scrapbooks, or great-grandmother's, I guess, and there was an article about it. I go, what? I never knew about that. I would think that would be pretty important to remember those kind of things. But we don't. And we don't ask questions. And if somebody did tell me some of those stories, they're long forgotten. And, you know, by the time I was interested in them, the people that told me it were gone. But I don't remember ever hearing anything like that. It's kind of the way it happens. And things deteriorate. Edmund Burke said those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. You know, but in this case, it wasn't really a repetition, a repetition of history. It just forgot about it. What have you done for me lately? And we don't show appreciation for any of those kind of things. And so they just forget that it was the presence of a Jew that actually saved their lives and their empire. And now they're uh, going the other way with all of this, aren't they? And that brings us to number four. There's prejudice everywhere you go. There's fear everywhere you go. And then there's assumption. And people who assume things about you because of your race, because of your heritage, because of where you live. You know, you can live in a certain part of town and be a, a certain skin color. And uh, when you try to make yourself, you know, to come out of all of that, there are some people who are going to be suspicious of you on both sides. Some of the people back where you came from think you're a sellout. Some of the people where you're going to, they'll never accept you because of what color you are or where you came from. There's always some suspicion that, you know, if there's something bad that happened, it must have been them. They'll point fingers at you until you can prove yourself to be innocent or, you know, all of those kind of things. I mean, that's just the way life works, isn't it? It's not right and it's sinful, but it's the way it goes. We judge people all the time. I heard a guy saying that when he was a teenager, he worked in a men's clothing store and he was told that a man may come in and buy a silk shirt and, you know, the most expensive suit that they have. And then you look down at his shoes and his shoes are unkept and they're not polished or anything. And this guy said, I learned from that that when I judge somebody, not just look at how they comb their hair or whether they were well groomed or what kind of clothing they had on. Look at their shoes. And he said, I judge people by their shoes. To see if they took care of them. I mean, we always find a way, even if it's just shoes, to judge people. And when we judge people or prejudge people, there's an element of fear in all of that. Watch out for them. They're trouble. They might cause trouble. They might steal something. They might stir up something. They might hurt you. And with all of that, it's just this assumption about people as a race or as a culture and all of that. And that's exactly what happened here with the Jews when they were in Egypt. And so because of that, Pharaoh said, they're becoming so big and so mighty, you know what those Jews are going to do. You ever seen their noses? 
You ever seen the food that they eat? I mean, they don't even look human. That's what Hitler said. That's what Hitler said. And they would draw caricatures of them doing all kinds of weird things. And it didn't take long. Everybody just kind of, well, maybe we'd be better off without the Jews. And they carted them away to put them into ovens and Auschwitz and other places like that. Dachau and others. And the German people didn't revolt against it because they'd been philosophized, propagandized. And that's what was happening in Egypt, wasn't it? You know, if they get too big... When our enemies come, you know what those Jews will do. I mean, they don't live right here in our land. They're over there in Goshen, which was a part of Egypt, but separate. You know, and they don't eat our food, and they don't worship our God. You know what they're going to do. Have you ever heard anybody say that about somebody? Well, you know what they're really thinking. You know what they're really going to do. You know what those kind of people are really like. I mean, it's always been around, hasn't it? And so we said, we're going to be in trouble, prejudice, fear, and then just outright assumption about them. They just never really fit in. And then the fifth thing, notice this, what got us here? What is Moses telling them? The blessing of God. Because you, when you read in verse 11 and following down there, they start afflicting them. They start taking away their freedoms. They start controlling them. They start getting bigger and bigger presence in their lives instead of leaving them alone. And you know what happens the more they try to afflict them? The more children they have. The more fertile they are. I mean, it's as if God might have been telling the Egyptians... You are exercising futility. These are my people. Pharaoh didn't get the hint. Nobody else got the hint. And the more God blessed them, the more disdain the people had for them. You know, that happens today. You can come into church even and say, Oh, praise God. I just got a promotion to CEO, and I got a million-dollar bonus. And you'd be surprised how many people won't be happy for you. The blessing of God sets you apart. The blessing of God is something that the world doesn't appreciate. And the blessing of God upon His people, even as they were setting taskmasters over them is something that is going to cause more trouble for the Jews. See, we think that the blessing of God is going to get us out of all of this and solve all of our problems. Sometimes, read your Bible, sometimes the blessing of God brought unwanted attention from jealous people, from mean people, from persecuting people. So you think about this going on and people would say, why are we here? Why are we here? How did we get here? And Moses has it all laid out. Here's what happened. 400 years ago, here's what happened. And your family, your ancestors and my ancestors, he was one of them. They came here and they were welcomed here. But God started blessing them, and as the generations passed, a new king came up who didn't know, and he started saying, you know how they are, and then they started putting us in slavery, and the more God blessed our people, the more God was with our people, the harder, the harder, the harder it got. Can you imagine those people saying, oh, so that's how it's happened. Because you know one thing about slaves, slaves, they don't know where they came from. They don't keep birth records on slaves. They keep records of a bill of sale. But they don't keep genealogies. And they don't keep records or anything like that. Why? You're just a piece of property. You don't matter. And if you die, we'll just get another one. We'll make another one. We'll breed two and get another one. It, you know, it's no big deal. You're nothing but a slave. And so Moses takes the time to tell them where they came from. And to list the names of their ancestors even in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the tribes that they came from. And he's telling them the story of how they got here. And I want to tell you something today. Wherever it is you are, you may be close to God, you may be far from God. You may be fat and sassy and prosperous. You may be down to your last dime. You may be thinking life is optimistic and hopeful and sunshiny, you may be the biggest pessimist who has ever lived. But I want to tell you something. You got here from somewhere. And all of us are the product of the way we were raised, the culture we were raised in. 
All of us are products of events that we don't really know anything about. Why did my grandpa decide that he needed to leave eastern Colorado and head for northwest Arkansas? Well, I mean, I can look back on it now and say because my daddy had to meet my mama and she was over there, right? But my grandpa wasn't a believer. He didn't pray over that. He was driven there out of poverty. Driven there because he couldn't support his family. He couldn't raise a crop in the Dust Bowl. And northwest Arkansas must have looked like the Garden of Eden compared to Lamar, Colorado. Still does. Still does. Why does all of that happen? How did we get where we are? Some of it's our own choices, right? Some of us are where we are because we have chosen to sin against God. We've chosen to compromise against God. We have had things in our lives that we know for sure this is wrong. This is not good. God will not honor this. And we said, I believe I can get away with it anyway. And that's why you're where you are. Distant from God. Under the chastisement of God. This is why other people, they've made right choices and they've obeyed God. And we look at them and say, well, I guess they just have a charmed life. No, maybe they just had an obedient life. And you can have that too. Just start obeying God today and repent of your sin. And we think about all of that. God has you in that place for a reason. Now, I want to conclude by just uh, kind of recapping thing here. And think about this. What, what was going on here? Well, first of all, think about this. There's a law called sowing and reaping. The Bible says, God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that you shall also reap. Right? Plant. Corn, you're going to get corn. Plant wheat, you're going to get wheat. Plant apples, you're going to get an apple tree, that kind of thing. Well, when you read verses 1 through 4, you see some names. And you know who those names are? Say, so, well, they're the tribes of Israel, you told us. Okay, okay, I get it. But think a little bit deeper. Those are the names of the men that threw Joseph into the pit. Those are the names that said, there's that dreamer. Coming down here to check on us. Let's get rid of him. Those are the names of the men who took him and sold him to the Midianite traders to sell him into what? Slavery. Now you know what happens? Israel, those brothers of Joseph, are reaping what they've sown. Isn't it interesting? The very thing they sold Joseph into has now come back upon them and upon their descendants. For how many generations? The Bible says one, two, three, four. Is there anything in the Bible about that? Well, the Bible tells us that the father's sins visit even to the third and the fourth generation. It's not that those kids are responsible for the sins. It's that the father's actions affect them, cause and effect. We look at that and we say, well, is that fair? Well, it's just the way life is. If you were raised by an alcoholic, there's a really good chance you're going to become an alcoholic. Isn't that right? You think about all of those things. Well, I don't think that's fair. Well, it goes the other way too. There's a really good chance that if your father was a good father who protected you, taught you, and fed you, you're probably going to do well and you're probably going to do that for your children. Our parents have an influence on us, and we have an influence on those who come after us. And God says that that visitation lasts to the third and the fourth generation. Now, when Moses writes this, he's talking to the fourth generation slaves. God came to a point where he said, enough. That's the last one of that generation that will be in slavery. That's in Exodus 4, 6, and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful and gracious, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Sin has to be paid for. It's either going to be paid for by you and life and all of that, or it's going to be paid for by Jesus Christ, right? No means clear the guilty. Look at this. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So why is this happening to the Israelis? Sowing and reaping. Here's another thing. I think God was equipping them. They're growing in numbers. If God had just said to Jacob, Okay, time to go back to the land. Now subdue the Amorites. Remember how many there were? Seventy. Seventy can't conquer a nation. 
70 can't overthrow the Amorites. They've got to grow. And over these 400 years, even while they were slaves, the Bible tells us that they grew and they grew and they grew. So when Moses led them into freedom, he was probably leading a million, maybe even two million people to go in and to conquer a land. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. It takes time to be ready to go occupy all of the land that God wanted them to occupy. But another thing was happening while they were slaves. The weak were dying off and the strong survived. And these who were coming out of Egypt are the best physical specimens you could ever imagine. They could endure hardship. They could endure pain. They could endure affliction. And boy, are they ever going to have it. God was equipping them for what they were going to do and getting them ready for all of them and allowing them also to see His faithfulness. Even after four generations, God had not abandoned His promises. And that ought to encourage you. You waiting for God to do something? You waiting for God to answer prayer? Just hang on. He'll do it. He'll do it. He's not a God who forgets. And He wanted to teach them that. But I conclude with this. He was building a picture. Egypt and slavery are pictures of what it's like to be dead in trespasses and sins. To be slaves to sin. You can't do anything about it. You can't get yourself out of it. You can't free or liberate yourself. That's how it was before you were saved. You were in spiritual Egypt. And you were a slave to your sin. Moses is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Deliverer, who confronts Pharaoh, who is a picture of the devil who held you in bondage. And Moses is the Deliverer who got you out of slavery and brought you into freedom to take you to Canaan, which is a picture of the abundant life. God's drawing us a picture and a picture of redemption of where we all are. And don't forget... That just before they left, Moses told them, kill a lamb, an innocent, spotless lamb. And when you take the blood, go to the entrance of your house and put some blood at the top. Can you imagine that? A weird thing to do. Put some blood on either side. And when the death angel came, he passed over the houses where he saw the blood. Isn't that good? And that's what they means, that's why they call it Passover. And that's what happened to you. God put the blood of Jesus on the doorpost of your heart when you trusted him. And there it is at the top. And there it is on either side. Oh, that makes a cross. And the death angel passes over you because he has no authority there. You are not a slave. You are set free by your Moses, your deliverer, Jesus Christ, who paid for your sins. Oh, but this is where it gets a little bit different. Not with the blood of a lamb, but with his own blood. God delivered you out of Pharaoh's bondage and out of the Egypt of your sin and slavery to set you free and to fulfill his promises, and to take you to a place where you will have abundant life in him. Can anybody say amen to that? And so this is what we see. How do we get here? This is how it happens. This is how you got where you are. Same things. This is how the world, this is why it's in the mess that it's in. All of these things are the same things, because the more things change, the more they stay the same the more they stay the same. But here's the good news. We have an unchanging God. A God who could deliver Israel out of Egypt can deliver you if you've never been saved. I pray today is a day you will trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and surrender your life to Him and trust in His payment as full payment for your sin. And this also is a word for those of you who are saved. Don't like where you are? Frustrated? Bored? What's going on in your life? Have you lost the joy of your salvation? Have you strayed from the Lord? Have you sinned and you're reaping the consequences of your sin? This same Jesus who saved you is the same Jesus who can deliver you out of where you are now. This is the same Jesus who has a purpose in letting you get where you are now 
so that you can learn and so that you can grow and so that you can go back to the beginning of our service. You can trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And maybe today the Lord is saying to you, you just need to get over yourself and yield to me. I know what I'm doing. Are you ready? No, I'm still doing it myself. I'll be back. And this is one of those times where you hear the voice of God saying, Are you ready? And my prayer is that today your response will be, Yes, Lord, I am ready for abundant life and freedom. How'd you get here? Uh, we can explain that. How are you going to get out? There's no other way. There's no other way but Jesus. Will you trust him? And will you follow him today? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes, please. Lord, as we get ready to think about this and figure out what we're going to do in response, my prayer is that it's not just something we work up in our mind, but I pray that the Holy Spirit himself is speaking to hearts and the lives now. There's some Christians who need to realize they are where they are right now so God can bring them to the end of themselves and that they will trust in Jesus just like they did at salvation. There's some other people here that are brought to this place in life by a lot of different forces, but this is the day that they meet Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord and are brought out of Egypt and brought on their way to that abundant life of Canaan. Oh, Lord, that we might be submissive to you and that we might understand where we came from, what you have done for us, and why you have done that so that we can honor and glorify you and walk with you as your children, never more content to live in Egypt, never more content to look back to Egypt because there are better things ahead for the child of God. So save the lost and take the lost who are, are the saved, who are longing for Egypt and looking back and let them look ahead to see what you have for them. Feed our souls, bless us, and let us respond today the way that you want us to respond by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And thank you, by the way, Lord, for delivering us out of our spiritual Egypt from our spiritual Pharaoh who kept us enslaved. Thank you, thank you for our deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for where we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's